Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So I want to get right at it this morning. I know we've been playing this a lot, but this is not a gimme this morning. But this is my favorite game show, and I'm sure it's yours too. Who it is? No guesses? Charles Lindbergh? No, it's not Charles Lindbergh. That's what you were supposed to guess, though. All right, so this is a picture of a man named Douglas Corrigan. Since I was in the Air Force for 20-some-odd years, and the fact that I'm a history buff, I want to set up this illustration here. These are for illustration purposes only, by the way. Um, So you might think Charles Lindbergh. Charles Lindbergh, um, just history moment here, um, took off on May 20th, um, 1927, when he flew across the Atlantic. 1927. We're coming up on 100 years on that. Took Lindbergh 33 and a half hours before he landed in Paris. All told, it was estimated that he was awake. He stayed awake for 55 some odd hours to get from point A to point B after all the checks and everything. Okay, now, enter Douglas Corrigan. So this is 1938, so 11 years after Lindbergh. Uh, Corrigan flew across the country. He flew from Long Beach, California to New York City. Okay, and so not as big of a feat, but 1938, uh, it was considered a lot safer. Obviously, you're over land, but it's not like every small city had an airport like they do now. So you could find places, fields and things like that to land. So it wasn't all that risky. Except in Corrigan's case, that plane he's standing next to is a 1929 Curtis Robin uh, that he said he pulled off the trash heap. And he restored it, and then he modified it for long-distance flights. Okay, so now, after he landed in New York City, um, he made a flight plan to go to Europe. He wanted to fly to Dublin. And aviation officials said, not in that plane. You're, it's not going to happen. We, we can't allow that. We can't, we can't okay that. And he said, okay, fine. Um, is it okay if I just fly it back to um, Long Beach? And they said, yeah, go ahead, and you can fly it off back to Long Beach. So on July 17, 1938... Pilot Corrigan here took off uh, out of Brooklyn um, and said he was on his way to Long Beach. And it was a very foggy morning. His uh, manifest, by the way, said he carried this. Two chocolate bars, two boxes of fig bars. I don't know if that's fig newtons or what that is. Quart of water, a U.S. map with a route from New York to California marked out on it. His goal was obviously to fly nonstop from, from New York to California. So he takes off in this modified Curtis Robin. And like I said, it was a foggy morning. And eyewitnesses who were there at the field said they were pretty sure they saw Corrigan going in the wrong direction. But maybe that was just how his flight plan was going or something like that. But he disappeared into the haze. And sure enough, 28 hours later, he landed not in California, but in Dublin, Ireland. So he instantly became a national hero and forever known, instantly known as Wrong Way Corrigan. Um, you Gilligan's Island fans, that's uh, Wrong Way dude with the airplane on Gilligan's Island was based on this guy right here. He made the headlines. Check out this headline newspaper. I had to look at this for a while. Yeah. New York Post, wrong, hail, wrong way, Corrigan, right? He became a national. Here's Ticker Tape Parade. There's a picture that Ticker Tape Parade was actually bigger than Charles Lindbergh when he came back. So he was an instant um, national hero. Okay, so point being, um, we can get off course rather easily. And if we're not careful and follow the right path, we can end up in Dublin rather than in uh, Long Beach, California. And this Bible was written so that we will literally stay on the right path. That's um, maybe Psalm 23 says that, you know, that God will lead you on the right path. We say the path of righteousness, which literally means the right path. So we don't end up in Dublin instead of, of Long Beach. Jesus says that he came to give us instructions to live our lives for God. 
But Jesus is very quick to point out that we have some responsibility in that. That this isn't just a book that sits on a shelf someplace and now we're instantly taken care of and everything's fine. No, he says you have a, you have, there's a few requirements uh, to getting his words um, in our life and the instructions to be a part of our lives. Now, uh, a moment ago, I read from Matthew 7. Um, to set that context where we are historically in Matthew 7, that's at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, we call that. So basically three chapters of, of Jesus teaching and preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. The greatest sermon ever preached is what we call that. Um, Jesus is teaching his disciples. Now, uh, not the, the apostles, not just the twelve. We talk about disciples. That's us. That's all of us, those followers of Christ. So he's teaching his disciples um, how to get more of God in their lives, giving them instructions on how, how the kingdom of God works. He's giving them instructions on how the kingdom of God works and how we fit into the kingdom of God. And yes, our responsibilities in it. He's quick to point out that you're responsible to do your part. Now, you're probably thinking, when I say responsibility, you're probably thinking, okay, here come the rules part now, right? Well, I tell our youth group this all the time on Wednesday night. This is not a book of rules. This is a book of promises. I don't think we realize that or that we own that part. Um, it's counted. I, now, I didn't sit down and count them myself, but um, other scholars have, and I'm trusting them. Uh, about 7,500 promises in this book. Now, there's more than that, technically, but that's like one person promising another person that they'll do something or not do something. We're not talking about that. 7,500 promises that God makes to you. Now, when we start understanding that, we start reading into that, we start owning those, our lives start to change because God makes those promises, again, directly to you. We forget maybe sometimes that this is a love letter written directly to you. We think it's for somebody else at a different time in some other place, in some other century, but no. This is something, the, the word of the, of the Lord is alive and active, and it's directly to you. But Jesus says a couple of things. He says, if you're not around to hear those promises, or if you're not reading those promises, you're not going to know them. How are you going to know them? First, we have to hear them, and then we have, we have to act on them. We have to actually do that. As the Nike swoosh always says, you know, just do it, right? All right, so Matthew 24, I'm sorry, Matthew 7, 24, uh, the first part of it. This is Jesus talking now. This is him summing up the, the Sermon on the Mount. He says, whoever hears these words of mine and, and does them. Um, the NLT translation, by the way, says anyone who listens um, to these words uh, and does them. Anyone who listens. The, the difference between hearing something and actually listening to something. I'm going to get to that verb here in a second. But that's what that it is. The point of here is uh, listening is different than just hearing something. And so then he says, these words of mine. What are these words of mine? Well, everything else that he just talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Everything that he laid out. I said earlier this morning that we're going to be studying the book of Ephesians at our Tuesday morning Bible study because it's sound doctrine. Well, a sound way of getting God into our lives and understanding how God works in our lives and our responsibility in his kingdom comes in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, right? So here we are. So this is also a phrase um, that here's, my, here's these words, here's these words of mine. It's a transliteration, basically, of, of a phrase in Hebrew that a rabbi would say, right? Here's these words and does them. It's, it's kind of the same thing. Hearing and doing is the same thing, and that's what the rabbi would say. He'd say, why are you listening to this? Why are you hearing this if you're not going to go out and do it? Why are you here this morning? Why are you listening to these words if you're not going to apply them to your life? And that's what we're getting at here this morning. We can hear people talking, right? 
We can hear things, and if we're not actively listening to them, then it doesn't really matter what they're saying, right? Like your mom used to say, it went in one ear and out the other. Well, sometimes it doesn't even really go in that ear. We don't acknowledge what's going on. So Jesus says there's two parts to this. First of all, you have to listen, right? You have to be there. You have to listen to it, and then the question becomes what? You have to, you have to go and do those things. The question we should be asking then is do what? What are we supposed to do? Here's these words and and then go do them. Well, like I said, it's at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which obviously is way too much information to share um, at a moment like this. That could be a a year-long sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, But let's continue with Jesus' thoughts here and how he concludes, again, what we call the greatest sermon ever preached or ever taught. So the rest, this is just the first part, uh, that little A, 724A, that's just the first part of the verse. Let's expand it and look at the NLT version of the entire verse 24. It says, anyone who listens to my teaching, right, there's a word listen, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. First of all, Jesus uses a house um, as an illustration here, but what he's really talking about is that they will build their life on solid rock. They will build their life on solid rock. Well, why do we do that, right? Okay, so verse 25 says this. It says, when the storm comes, uh, rain pounded down, waters rose, levees broke, winds beat all the walls of that house, but the house did not fall because it was built upon rock. Okay, so the key word in this sentence is what? When the storms come. Not if the storms come, not the off chance storms come. No, he says when. There's going to be storms. There's going to be times where we're going to get beat to smithereens, and it's going to be tough. Storms are going to hit us. Things, life, isn't going to look the way we want it to look. Seemingly, prayers will go unanswered. Things didn't happen that I prayed about. Things happened that I prayed wouldn't happen. We're getting beat up. We're not always going to have it our way. But Jesus says, hear my words and apply them to your life, and then we will get through these storms. And you're not, your house isn't going to crash down. Your life is not going to crash down. Why? Because we're built upon solid rock. Storms look different to every person, in, maybe in every situation or different times, every time. More often than not, though, storms catch us by surprise. Don't give Satan credit for every storm in your life or everything that goes wrong in your life. But sometimes when we think things are going well, that's when the storm hits us and we're not expecting it. I saw a movie one time about these dogs that were on their own, um, I think in Antarctica. And the problem with them is that they were constantly looking for food. Well, one day they finally found the mother load, and well, here, just watch this.
There you go. That's an unexpected storm. <laughs> I was on an airplane watching this movie. I was flying from Tokyo to Los Angeles. And it was a good thing I had my seatbelt on. Because <laughs> I think I would have flown out of my chair. Luckily, I didn't audibly scream. All right, though, Bo, back to the point. So when Jesus talks about being wise um, and putting our trust in him, um, he also talks about the flip side of that, the other side of that same coin. Um, the unwise, right? I want you to look at verse 26 here. Still Jesus talking. He said, but anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. Okay, so that word here is, is my word of the day, is my favorite word of the day. I uncovered some stuff that I didn't know before, and I, and I want to share it with you as, as simply as I can. Um, so uh, the Greek language is an active language, and the important part in understanding Greek and applying it to our lives is understanding uh, the Greek verb. I talk about um, um, whether a verb is passive or active um, a lot of the times, but this, uh, what we want to talk about here is what we call the mood of the verb. And so we're using the exact same word here in, seven, in uh, verse 24, it says, anyone who hears my words and does them. It's the same word here in verse 26, anyone who hears my word and doesn't do them, basically, is what we're saying here. So in verse 24, though, the mood of that verb is called the indicative mood, and it means, um, it's, well, let me back up a second. The mood of a verb shows the attitude of the verb. It shows um, the reality or lack of reality of what we're talking about. Did it actually happen, or does it actually accomplish what it's after? So that's what we're really talking about here is the accomplishment of the verb. So now when we look back in verse 24, we're seeing that when Jesus says, anyone who hears these words of mine and does them, that means something has been accomplished. That means that that word, that that verb has achieved its goal, us hearing and being able to apply that word to our lives. Back in verse 26 now, that's a different mood. That's a participle mood, which basically it's, it's almost more like a noun. It's more like a thing than an action. So something happened, but it didn't really happen because it didn't accomplish what it was going for. So Jesus says this, My words are for a purpose, and they're to accomplish something. And that what they're here to accomplish is to have a change in your life. My words are here to accomplish so that you will build your life on who I am and who I say I am. That's the accomplishment that he's looking for here. It's not good enough just to, just to hear words or be around words unless we're going to actually put them into action and let them accomplish what they're going for. And this is exactly what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about two completely different things. The yin and the yang here. He says, one, you will come to me, you will hear my words, you will apply them to the best of your ability to your life. Now that doesn't mean, again, that you're not going to have storms in your life. Because it says when the storms come. Okay, because those storms are coming. That's the given. We know that's going to happen. So Jesus says, build your life on something solid. On me. Don't build your life on shifting sands. Because we're going to build it on something. We don't need to have it on those shifting sands. So that's the other part of it. It's like a foolish person who builds a house on sand. And then if we go to verse 27, when the rains and floods come, the winds beat against that house, it's not going to stand. It's going to collapse with a mighty crash. I lived in Virginia for about six years, and I was fortunate enough to go to the Outer Banks a bunch of times. And I saw these houses that were built right on the water. And check out what happens when you build your house on shifting sands. The waves come with a mighty crash. 
And this has action to it. Water comes in and goes against the house. Give me a yay or nay, Jared. Give back to me. (laughs) Okay, so the waves come and this house falls down and it floats away. I mean, something we don't see very often. This is out in the outer banks of North Carolina. This is what happens when we build our lives on that shifting sand, when we don't build our lives on that solid rock. Action. The rains come, the floods come, winds beat against the house, and it's going to collapse with a mighty crash. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about. But again, he's not talking about a house here, he's talking about our lives. He's talking about our day-to-day activities. He's talking about how we get along in this world. And he gives us a choice, or rather he says, you have a choice. Are you going to hear these words and actually do them, actually apply them to your lives, actually try to work your life into those 74 or 7,500 promises that are in here? Are we just going to let them bounce off and say, you know, life's tough and I'm just going to have to figure things out by myself? When Jesus is talking about this, all he's doing is quoting the Bible. All he's doing is summing up the Bible. In John 14, he says to his disciples, Trust in God, trust also in me. Nothing else is going to save you. Nothing else is going to bring you out of this. Trust in me to get you through that storm, most importantly for our salvation. I've got an illustration over here for you. I just want to show you this. I'm not going to pull a rabbit out of a hat today. It's going to be a little more simple than that. So this glass is you, is your life. At the moment it's empty, but we don't like to have our lives empty. So uh, we fill our our lives with things that keep us or make us feel safe, make us feel secure, make us put our trust in. So some of the things of the world, this water is going to represent things of the world that we put our trust in. Um, Sometimes that's finances. We put our trust in our finances. Maybe we put our trust in some of our friends to get us through those storms. But you know how that works out sometimes. If you don't believe me, just check out Facebook once in a while. Or family members, right? Other things like that. Maybe we, put, we trust some of our possessions, some of the things uh, that we have in our lives, because that's where our identity is and the things that we have around in our house. But the things of the world. Now, I purposefully uh, left this just half full, because that's kind of how the world leaves us, just half full with... This stuff that may or may not last. But Jesus says this. He says you got to put your faith, you got to put your trust on a rock, not on water. So these rocks here are going to represent Jesus. And the things that he tells us, the things that he says are going to get you through that, those storms. Like his peace or, or, his, or his love. You with me? Or his grace. Or what else? His, how about salvation? We'll put in a double dose for salvation here. You get the idea though, right? We start filling ourselves up with God's word, with God's promises, with 7,400 promises. There's not 7,400 rocks in here, by the way. Start filling up God's, ourselves with God's promises. Now, and I've purposefully filled it up with God's promises because that's what God says he wants you to do. Fill yourself up with me and not things of this world. Now, we're not done yet. 
I want you to think about this for a second. We have these rocks in here, and we have this water in here. Now, is the water keeping these rocks, is the water limiting the number of rocks I can put in this glass? Gina, is the water? (laughs) No. The water has nothing to do with how many rocks I can put in here. And what happens if I left this here for a week or two, especially in the summertime when it's hot, what's going to happen to the water? It's going to evaporate. It's going to be gone. If I leave it here for a week or two, what's going to happen to these rocks? Other than drying out, nothing. Right? The things of the world are going to come and go. The things of the world are going to change like shifting sands. And if we build our trust and we put our trust, we build our lives on the things of the world, we're going to end up like that house in the Atlantic Ocean. If we put our trust in God and put our trust and our faith in who Christ is, it's going to be a lot more solid. And he's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. Yes, it's going to get stormy. Yes, things are not going to look the way we want them to all the time. But Jesus says, put your trust in me. Trust in me, trust in God. Or trust in God, trust also in me, John 14. And then your life is going to be, more, your life is going to be solid. And now we talk about things all the time. We talk about this and that and the things that go around in this world, the things we have, the things we don't have, the things we want, the things we don't want to have. But that's not what God talks about. That's not what Jesus talks about. That's not what these promises are all about. These promises are bigger than that. Bigger than your prayers for a new shiny car or a better house or whatever it is, good grades, whatever. Those are all great things to have in our lives, but these promises go way beyond that. This word rock is what we need to talk about. And you'd be surprised how many times the Bible refers to God and to Jesus as the rock or a rock. One of the most important ones here is in Psalm 89, verse 26. If you're taking notes, write this one down and own this verse. It's talking about King David. This is at the end of a, a list and talking about what, how David's life is going to work out. He will call out to me. This is what he's going to say. You are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. That's what it comes down to. The rock of my salvation. There's only one thing that saves us. There's only one thing. There's only one way that leads us to heaven, and it's through Christ. And Jesus says, listen to my words. Apply them to your life. That way when the storms come and the things don't look the way we want them to, we've got something solid and something rock solid to rely on, not shifting sands. That thing that we hang our hat on is at the end of this verse right here, and that's what I want to leave you with. You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you please stand with me?